0: We've got quite the Bible story this morning, don't we? I mean, it's a story with snakes. It's exciting. (laughs) Now, when I was invited to preach, I had this Sunday as a possible date, and I knew that we're in a season where everyone is worshiping together, and we're not taking our kids to classrooms down the hall or across the parking lot. Um, I wanted to preach a sermon and kind of play around with the format a little bit because I know it's possible to connect with one age group but yet miss another. We've got children and youth and adults all in the same room and all in the same home right now. It's wonderful, but it's also hard to preach in a way that we connect with each one of you. But when I saw that there were snakes in the Bible story, I knew that we this would be a good Sunday to kind of give it a try. So, I know that many of us have been spending a lot of time at home in this season, right? How many of you have been playing games? Lots of you? All of you? Puzzles? I know I've seen lots of puzzles, too. I want you to think about some of your favorite games to play right now. So this summer, um, my daughter figured out that she loves to play a game called Greedy Granny, and my son got um, a game called Throw Throw Burrito that we've been having fun with. Yes, I heard some yeses to Throw Throw Burrito. We've been having that one at home, Um, having a lot of fun with that one at home, Um, and Are there any of you that play what's called a cooperative game? Have you played a cooperative game? We've got some back there. Yeah, now cooperative games um, are games where the players are cooperating with each other rather than competing with each other. And the goal is to beat the game itself. So as you play, you play together, and you all either win or lose against the game. So there's a kids' game company called Peaceable Kingdom that makes cooperative games. It's a good name, right? Peaceable Kingdom. Um, They define a cooperative game as a game where everyone plays together. No one is left out, and everyone has fun. You'll see some of their games on your screen. Now, youth and adults, there's plenty of cooperative games that you play as well. If you've ever done an escape room, that's a type of cooperative game, and there are people right now who are playing a game called Pandemic in real life and the game. (laughs) But we, pandemic is another cooperative game, believe it or not. So um, why are we starting with this idea of cooperative games? Well, I wanted to get us thinking together about the idea of moving toward a goal together. So in our Bible passage today, Paul has a goal. Now you can't necessarily see the goal in the 10 verses that Kellen just read for us. So we're going to take a step back and we're going to take a wide-angle lens look and we're going to find Paul's goal in our text today. We'll go back to Acts 19.21 when Paul is teaching in Ephesus. So while he's there, the Bible says, After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, um, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. I think it's safe to figure that Paul wants to go to Rome to spread the gospel and encourage the believers there. And he talks about going to Rome as part of his missionary journey. Now, if we move forward to Acts 21, Paul has made it as far as Jerusalem. But there are many Jews who are not happy that Paul is sharing the message of Christ. So they go into the temple to seize Paul. They cause a big disturbance, and Paul ends up getting arrested. Now, in the midst of all these outbreaks against him, while he's in prison, God speaks to Paul. You see, in Acts 23, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so also must you testify in Rome. So, it's not only Paul's goal to get to Rome, it's also God's plan that Paul will get to Rome and share his testimony and good news of life in Jesus Christ. So, okay, we know that Paul needs to get to Rome. See if you can fill in the sentence. What's the saying in the ancient world, all roads lead to? You got it. Say it again. All roads lead to Rome. It's true. Now, while all roads lead there, it still was not an easy path for Paul. Now, I know if you're one of the younger ones worshiping with us today, it's hard to listen to the same person talk for the whole time. Maybe even if you're an older one, it's hard to listen. But I want you to hear Paul's story of his journey to Rome, but I want to give you a break from my voice. So we've got a short video. It's just about four minutes long, and I'm going to let an artist share the next part of this story with you this morning.
1: found a grain ship from Egypt that was going to Rome. He transferred his prisoners to that ship. The winds were not favorable for sailing west, so they sailed south. The crew anchored south of the island of the Street, but by now it was winter. ropes around the ship to strengthen it and keep it from falling apart. As the storm continued, the ship was in danger of sinking because of its heavy cargo. The next day, the crew began to lighten the ship by throwing cargo overboard. The third day, they threw out some of the sailing gear. When the storm grew worse, the men could see neither the sun nor the stars, so they did not know where they were or in which direction they were going. Eventually, they gave up hope of surviving the storm again, Paul met with the captain, the owner, and Julius. You should have listened to me, Paul said. But cheer up! An angel of God told me that I would arrive at Rome, and everyone on board would survive. The ship, however, will be destroyed. I believe what God has said will happen, but first we must run aground on a certain island. At midnight on the fourteenth night of the storm, the sailors determined they were close to land. They didn't want to crash on any rocks, so they Anchors off the back of the boat and waited for morning. Meanwhile, the sailors decided to save themselves. They started to lower the rowboat, pretending to attach anchors to the front of the boat. Paul saw them and told Julius that unless everyone stayed on the boat, they would die. Julius gave the soldiers orders to cut the rope and let the rowboat fall into the sea. Paul promised everyone they would not die. Then he took bread, thanked God for it, and instructed all 276 on board to eat. In the morning, the crew saw that they were anchored near a bay with a beach. They let go of the anchors and steered the ship toward the bay. But the ship got stuck in the sand, and soon the waves started to break up the back of the ship. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners so they would not escape, but Julius stopped them. Julius told everyone who could to swim toward shore. Then he told those who could not swim to float toward land on pieces of the ship everyone did as he said and made it to the island called malta since it was raining the islanders made a fire so the men from the ship could get warm as paul threw some wood on the fire a poisonous snake bit him on the hand and hung onto him paul shook the snake into the fire the islanders were convinced paul was a murderer and was being punished when paul did not die they decided he must be some kind of god but it was actually god's power that kept paul from dying Paul and the rest of the prisoners and crew stayed on the island for three months. During that time, Paul healed many of the sick and shared the gospel with the lost. After winter, Paul sailed to Rome where he stayed in his own rented home under a guard's watch. Paul remained faithful to God even though his voyage to Rome was hard. We know that God is faithful to us and loves us very much.
0: (laughs) So... Paul's goal is to get to Rome, God's plan is to have Paul get to Rome, and Paul does eventually make it to Rome. All right, if you've got some paper with you or if you have any paper at home, I'm going to suggest an idea um, with some word bubbles that you can kind of doodle as you listen this morning. This is another way that we're going to use a little bit of a different format. I'm going to give you an idea of something that you might draw and write to help you focus on the next part of the sermon. So what we're going to do is first I'm going to have you, you can draw a giant circle in the middle, and if you don't have any paper and you can't draw it, don't worry, we'll keep showing you the pictures as well. But then you have that big circle in the middle, and we're going to write a few different things in there. So as we write, you may cross them out or you may just write next to it, it's it's up to you. There'll be a few things that end up in that middle. But then you're going to put three circles kind of around the outside, and those three circles will all have arrows pointing toward that center circle. Now in the center bubble, we're going to put our goal. And we'll start with the life of Paul. And the goal's life of Paul at this point is to the, the goal of Paul's life at this point is to get to Rome. So we're going to look back at our text for today. And we start with Paul and 276 others on board this prison vessel coming upon land at Malta. They're wet, they're cold, it's raining. So the islanders build a fire, and they welcome the shipwrecked crew with this gracious hospitality. Now Paul has been helpful on board the ship, so it's not really surprising that he's also going to be helpful on land. So he goes to gather some firewood to help feed the fire. And when he picks up the branches, he also picks up a snake, a viper, the text says, and the viper attaches itself to Paul's hand. See, snakes. Now Paul has basically survived a hurricane at sea, and then a shipwreck, and it looks like even though those things didn't kill him, this snake just might. At least that's what the people on the land think. They assume that Paul must actually be a criminal, a murderer, they call him, because they're working from this worldview that you can't escape fate. Their thought is that the gods, little g, they weren't able to kill you at sea, but you can't escape the gods. The goddess of revenge is going to get Paul on shore through this snake bite. But, much to their surprise, Paul does not die. He shakes the snake off his hand into the fire, and the people, it says in our text, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. So when he doesn't swell up, when he doesn't fall dead, they assume he is a god himself, small g. Now, the snake's venom is totally powerless against Paul, is what they see. And as one commentator says, Paul moves from being an immoral man to an immortal man. He is, um, moves from being a murderer to somebody who's completely immune to things that are fatal to a mere person. Now, Luke doesn't say so, but it's probably safe to guess that Paul denies being a god. We saw in Lystra, when people called Paul and Barnabas gods, they denied it. And coming up in our text, Paul is going to heal a man, and the healing is done after Paul prays to the one true God. So the point of the text here isn't to establish some superhuman power of Paul that can defy all snake bites. Um, The point of the text, Luke is showing us that the power to get Paul from Jerusalem to this God-ordained destination in Rome, that power belongs to the one sovereign God and to God alone. So in our word bubble, and our first one around the side, we're going to write protect or protection. So God has told Paul that he'll get to Rome, and God is going to get Paul there. God will give his protection so that this can happen. So neither storm, nor shipwreck, nor snakebite is going to stop Paul from getting to the place that God has planned for him to go. And before we go on to our second bubble, I want you to think about your own life. I said in that middle bubble, we might write a few things. Um, I want you to think about the goal that you might put in the center of the word bubble picture. Let's even change from goal. Let's say, what is your purpose? Where do you long to go? What do you long to do? Does it match up with what God has led you to do? And with what God is calling you to do? See, if you're a younger child with us, um, is God asking you to be a friend to someone who doesn't have a lot of friends? Or are you just starting school and you're deciding that you want to work really hard on math or reading or science this year? If you're an older student with us, middle school or high school, has God given you a talent or a skill that he's asked you to develop? Or is there a team or a club you're hoping to join? And if you're an adult, has God put a calling on your life to serve in some way? Is there a place God has shown you where you might need to grow? Is there a person you might need to forgive? So I'm going to give you just a few seconds for a quick activity. It's going to involve a little bit of interaction. If you're comfortable sharing, you're going to turn to somebody near you and share with them the purpose that you would put in the center of your word bubble. Now, if you're not comfortable sharing because it's a personal thing, that's okay. Um, Just look at someone and smile and remind yourself that God created that person with a purpose as well. So, you've got maybe about 10 or 15 seconds at home and here. Turn and share that purpose with someone around you. Okay, I'm going to bring us back together. We each have a purpose, and you've all heard that God has a plan for each of your lives. It's true. God had a plan and a purpose for Paul and we see in Paul's journey that the one true sovereign God is protecting him along the way. Now in the same way God is protecting you. Your life is not going to be perfectly smooth. You probably know this already. But like Paul we are frail and fragile people. We're vulnerable to the wind and the waves and maybe even snake bites along the way. But our invitation is to place our lives in the hands of a trustworthy, sovereign God. If you're giving your life to Christ and moving toward that center circle of what God has planned for you, God will get you there. So we're going to move on to the second bubble on the outside of our word picture. Um, And in the second part of our text from this morning, we have the story of Publius' father being healed. healed. He's sick, and it's likely with something called Malta fever. It was an illness that was specific to that part of the world, a fever and dysentery that lasted anywhere from four months to two to three years. Later, it was discovered that Malta fever was caused by a microorganism in the milk of Maltese goats, believe it or not. So snakes, microorganisms, I told you, it's exciting. Uh, So Publius welcomes Paul into his home for three days, and Paul learns that Publius's father is sick with this disease. So it says in Acts 28, Paul went in to see him. And after prayer, Paul placed his hands on him and healed him. Now remember how we said that Paul demonstrated to the people that he wasn't a god after all. If Paul was a god, he should have been able to heal Publius's father in his own power. But Paul prays to another god before he does the healing, to the one true god. And he asks that god for the power to do the healing. And as he's healing, Paul is demonstrating the sovereign power of God over disease and illness. So I'll keep reading. In verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So I want you to write something in that second bubble. I want you to write provide or provision. God had a plan and a purpose for Paul to get to Rome. And God protects Paul so that he can get there, but God also provides exactly what Paul needs to get to Rome. See, Paul came to the island as a prisoner with no possessions, and he lives on this island for about three months. As he waits, Paul submits to God's leading in his life, and he continues to do God's work among the people. God provides exactly what Paul needs to continue on in the journey toward the place that God had planned. You know, this reminds me of the Exodus story a little bit. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh. Here's another phrase you can fill in. God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my You got it. Say it again with me. Let my people go. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh said no. So God sent 10 plagues. We even talked about this in Kids Club last, fall, last spring. <laughs> the last time we had Kids Club, we were talking about the 10 plagues. Um, We learned there was blood in the river, gnats, boils, livestock died. There were so many bad things. And then in the final plague, the firstborn son of all the Egyptians died in the night, while the angel of death passed over the homes of the Israelites who had put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost protection. By that point, Pharaoh had had enough. So we read in Exodus 12, that the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. God provided. God's purpose for his people was to get them out of slavery into the promised land so that when they were there, they could worship him in a beautiful temple. But God's people were slaves, and they had not much. The Egyptians gave the Israelites silver and gold and clothing. God provided all the materials that his people would need to build the temple that he had planned. Where has God provided for you? What have you seen God provide as you've journeyed closer to the purpose that God has for your life? And what can you ask God to provide so Paul has given his life to Christ. Paul has submitted to the purpose God has for him. And God provides all that Paul needs to travel on to Rome. So we've got one bubble left to fill in, that third one around, and we're gonna put in a word that you might not expect. We're gonna write in the word prisoner. All right. So I like it partly because now we've got alliteration, right? We've got a purpose, we've got protection, we've got provision, and now we've got prisoner. All start with peace. Works out so well. But there's also something that fades to the background in this text in Acts. Paul is still a prisoner. God has a purpose for him, and God is protecting him, and God is providing for him. But God is not taking Paul to Rome in the way that Paul might have expected. I feel like that is a theme for life right now, huh? Nothing is happening as we expected it to happen. Many of you are starting school. If last fall you had asked us what this fall would look like, it would be clear to see that this fall is not happening in the way that we expected it to happen. Now, turn to someone around you and give them a fist bump if you're related. If not, just give them an air fist bump, All right? Turn to your neighbor, give them a fist bump. Because this Sunday would normally have been bump up Sunday. Our kids, we're going to transition from one Kids Out Loud class to another. Or they might go from nursery to Kids Out Loud, or Kids Out Loud to confirmation, or confirmation to high school. But Sunday morning is not happening as we expected it to happen. Some of you have lost jobs in this COVID pandemic season. Some of you have retired. Some of you have had babies. Some of you have had grandbabies. Some of you have gotten married. Some of you have graduated. Some of you are going off to college. Nothing is happening as we expected it to happen. God often doesn't get us to this center purpose in the way that we would expect. Paul travels to Rome as a prisoner, captive to a guard. Now on this journey as a prisoner, though, Paul experiences a lot of God-given things. Paul experiences hospitality from the people of Malta. Paul experiences vindication of his innocence when he doesn't die from that viper bite. Paul experiences honor from the people of Malta as he heals their sick. And later in Acts 28, Paul experiences greeting from the Roman Christ followers as they meet him on this road to Rome. Nothing is happening as we expected it to happen in this season. But this does not undermine the sovereignty of God. God is still sitting on his throne in his unshakable kingdom. There are places where we can experience hospitality and truth and honor and greeting, all these God-given things as we submit to God and as we travel closer to that purpose that God has for each of us. But God might not get us to the center in the way that we expect. So what's at the center of this word picture for all of us? It's not Rome, though that might be nice, right? (laughs) Um, I've challenged each of you to think of an individual calling that you might put at that center purpose, and that is completely valid. Now, if I had to choose one thing that I'd put in the center for all of us, though, I would actually choose Christiformity. That's Pastor Stacy's word that he got from Scott McKnight, and it's part of ECC's touchstone of transformation. Christiformity. You see, in trans- our Touchstone of Transformation, we say that we provide resources and relationships for the journey from curiosity to Christformity. We long for Christ to be formed in each of you. We want each of you, from our kids to our youth to our adults to our seniors, to move more toward reflecting the character of Christ so that we can be people who welcome others into God's kingdom and people who are present in the world As agents of change and redemption. Those are all from our touchstones. So that's our good news for this morning. God promises transformation, and God wants your participation. Why did God send Paul to Rome? So God's word could explode from the place that was the center of the ancient world. Why does God want us to be transformed into Christ's likeness? So that God's world can go out into the world, so that God's Word can go out into the world in a way that brings about God's kingdom. You see, God doesn't just want to transform us, He wants us to transform the world. God promises this transformation, and God wants your participation. God will protect us, and God will provide for us, but it's not going to look like what we would expect. You heard Pastor Stacey in our life at ECC talk about um, the connection and community groups that we're going to form as we go into the fall. Now, we aren't able to meet in person in the ways that we'd like, and we hope that we'll be gathering our kids and our youth and our adults again soon. But for now, we've got to let God move us closer to Christiformity in a way that looks different than what we expected. See, I think the beauty of these connection groups is that each one is going to look a little different. We'll help connect you to one or two or three other people here at ECC, and you might end up meeting with them in person. You might end up meeting with them outside. You might end up meeting inside with masks. You might end up meeting online. But what we're asking you to do is to sign up, first of all, and then meet. You'll be with people who are looking to do the same type of meeting and the same frequency of meeting times, You may be with people who are studying that book, Love Over Fear, as we're all studying this into the fall. You may be with people who are committed to attend on a Sunday morning and who just need to see another face during the week. Each of you, though, you're going to need to play an active role as part of these groups. They're open to everyone. They're open to kids, to families, to youth, to adults, to men, to women. Everyone is invited to take part. Now, remember how we started by talking about cooperative games? Well, maybe you'll even end up in a group that plays cooperative games. You never know. But we're entering a season where we're asking all of you to work together with us toward the same purpose. Discipleship and transformation into people who are like Christ is largely going to happen with you in each of your homes. We'll be looking forward to seeing how God moves us together toward this purpose in the center, and we already know it's not going to look like what we expect but it's going to be exciting to see how God gets us there together. Will you pray with me to close this morning? Gracious God, you are a God who has given us a purpose. You are a God who protects us, who provides for us, and who takes us places often in ways different than what we had expected or planned out. But God, remind us in the midst of it all that you are sovereign, that you are sitting on your throne, that you are Lord over all, And God, as we step into this fall and we seek to be people transformed into your likeness, God, we pray that you would work in us and that you would bring that about through the different ways that we are meeting together. Lord, give us creativity, give us excitement. Lord, give us connection with each other. Let us encourage each other and let us spur each other on toward a life where we look more and more like you each day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen.